Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. You're listening to the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show live on 1500 ESPN. All right, welcome back to the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Mackie and Judd with Chris Long from 5 Eyewitness News in for Judd today. And Lou Nanny joins us on this Friday, and we were just talking off the air, Lou, and would love to get your, your two cents on it. So, it, it, I mean, watching these Olympics, uh, I, I mean, I get hooked on some of the obscure events, so I mean, I'll watch almost anything now. I'm, I'm hooked in. Uh, hockey's been fun. The women's game, U.S. and Canada, was a lot of fun the other night, hoping for a rematch. There's something, it, it would just be fun to watch these NHL players skating around, though. I mean, there's something about that environment every four years, the big ice sheets, uh, you know, five or six big-time teams, do you, now that you've sort of seen it play out here, um, what's your stance on it? Do you think the NHL should have sent their players over to South Korea? No, not at all. I'm, uh, I'm very, very adamant about it, and I say that because I don't think you should be, set, you know, setting the league aside for three weeks and and taking, uh, you know, your best players over there. Hockey's the only sport that was doing that. Every other sport plays in the off season. Like basketball goes in in uh, you know June or July, and and even golf and baseball, all those sports are played at a different time. And if you're a season ticket holder, a suite holder, an advertiser, you don't want your sport shut down for three weeks. And on top of that, every time there's a Olympics, there's major injuries that really affect your team or the collective balance in the league because three or four guys get seriously injured. Hey, look at how many guys have got injured. This year, just because you had you had your regular uh, all-star break, you had the, the three-on-three break, you had the Christmas break, so all these teams have had to get a lot of guys, uh, you know, without practice into games and, and more games in a shorter period of time. You still play the same amount of games, but you got less days to play them in. So you look at the Rangers last night; they had eight guys out of the lineup. This makes no sense to me to have the Olympic Games and expect the NHL to play in the middle of the season. I love watching them play, playing each other, but I think you got to do it like uh, they used to do it and, you know, just have the World Cup in September. Yeah, and I, I mean, and, and every point you brought up is is 100% a valid point, and if I'm an owner of an NHL team or a general manager, my greatest fear is that Sidney Crosby blows his knee out in a bronze medal game or something, and, and now I lose him for a playoff run. On the other side is that... Is there, as you're weighing, you know, the pros and the cons, 
what what's the marketing effect? I mean, having your best players on a national stage in front of a new audience of maybe casual fans who are going to duck in because it's the Olympics. And obviously, you've made the conclusion that it doesn't outweigh the the negatives. But is what is the marketing effect if you do bring NHL players over and, and play every four years? Absolutely nothing has been proven that the only time we've really had big bumps are are the eighty uh, uh, you know Olympic team because a bunch of college kids won. And I wish this year that they would have taken all college kids and played a schedule before the season and, and uh, you know, have a young team really experience it and getting that kind of glamour to it. Uh, I, I, I have to tell you, there, there has been no bump in the past Olympic teams, NHL teams being played in the Olympics and for the NHL. There's been no really substantial bump after it. It's almost nothing. It's very enjoyable for the fans at the time. But if you're a vested season ticket holder, and I'm not even talking to the owners, I'm talking about a fan, and then you, you shut the league down right in the middle of when you're, you know, really battling for a playoff position and starting things are starting to take shape, uh, you get you get negative effects. You get some some teams that all of a sudden might have been on a real high, maybe a ten game winning streak, what have you. Now the teams, uh, you know, are taking a big three week break. And you lose that momentum. You lose the kind of feeling you had for that for that team at that time. Lou, it's Chris Long. You kind of mentioned it there at the end of your first answer, but I, I think that the, the, the easy solution for me, well, not easy, but I think the one that would serve all purposes would be to do what you said. Make it a collegiate tournament, and that would be brutal for the college teams, but y- you figure out a way to do it. I mean, a, a lot of what the I know the women's teams do, and there is an apples and oranges aspect to it, but they – basically we'll take the year off and go be Olympians for the year. The, the the thing I've always pushed for for the last several years, even in the last couple of years when all the NHL guys were going, I want to see, well, I shouldn't say want to see, my suggestion would be you make it a 23 and under tournament. So at least then the NHL might say, well, okay, we're going to send our guys, but we're not going to send the veterans. We're not going to send the older guys who, let's face it, are going to be more injury prone. But then you're sending Connor McDavid. But let's get the guys that we want people to see might there be that marketing bump if you send for example a team usa just throwing names eichel besser matthews larkin kachuk jones mcavoy gensel if that's team usa i think you might see that marketing bump because you're going to see a lot of player Uh oh he's laughing go go i'll stop <laughs> I, you I go disagree with you first of all how can you say take Eichel and Besser and Connor McDavid off their team? Well, no, you'd have to you'd have to stop the season still. You would have yeah, to still stop. I'm the saying season. you cannot do this, so it's not helping you. It, 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 listen, you will have you know a, a college team, and it doesn't kill the college players. If you got to just set the NHL aside, people from the NHL cannot go and play, so you can't affect that league. They get nothing. They get zero out of it. They really do. And, and if you look at all, and the owners will tell you that, the league will tell you that, there has been no big bump in that thing. For, and they've been playing since, what, 96? Yeah. So it would be, to me, more interesting if you had the best college players. And that doesn't crucify the college team because those guys might have been turning pro anyway. Yeah. So rather than go play in the American Hockey League, or maybe some of them, might, maybe two or three might have made the NHL, you play your college, you that last year of college, or maybe it wouldn't even be your last year. You might go back after the Olympics and play, but but you you have that young team that is playing around the country like we did in 1980, and 
I was general manager as chairman in, in 1980 of the Central League when I was managing the North Stars. Herbie says, we can't play a college schedule, Louie, and beat these guys. We, we need better games. So I said, well, I can get you five exhibition games, but I can't put you in the National Hockey League. They're not going to listen to us. But I tell you what, I am chairman of the Central League. We'll go down and meet the president, Bud uh, Poyle. And if we can get you in the Central League with a schedule, they had 32 games or something, and the games counted. Right. And so, you know, the teams they were playing against weren't going to fight them all the time. It was going to be actual good games. They had a great schedule. They had a tough schedule because they were playing the best players outside of the National Hockey League in a schedule all year long, which helped you know, help them prepare. Now, if you could do that with a college team, I think it's, it's better for you. And and even even if the college team were then to come and win the Olympics, you know, you might see a surge in a game or two when somebody comes home and they join the NHL team. But after that, really, you, you're not you're not going to see a lot. But it makes it more exciting than I think it is now with, yeah. without having to shut the league down. Yeah, and, and Phil, like what he's saying makes sense. There's precedent. I mean, the World Juniors, you take a couple guys off each college team right in the middle of the season. So maybe yeah. you're, you're working around I, I, that. One thing that has been fun, and, and Lou Nanny's with us here, Chris Long's in for Judd. We're at the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Uh, it has been fun watching a guy like Jordan Greenway get mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. on a national stage. So he wouldn't otherwise be right. on the team. Um, so uh, your thoughts on Jordan Greenway? I mean, he's he's a beast. Well, he's the size a, is there. He's the real deal. He's oh, yeah, 21 years old. Prospect. Yeah, you're right, Phil. I think he's a great prospect for the Wild. He is a beast. He's about 6'6". Six, six. He's got good hands. You know, a lot of times you see big guys, they don't have the hands like he's got. He's got speed. He's a smart player. I think he's going to be a big addition for the Wild, and hopefully, uh, he he comes back after the Olympics and joins the Wild. Not, you know, I don't care about Boston winning the college tournament. I I'd rather see him on the Wild and help them make a run for the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I want to ask you the same question I just asked Chris here a couple segments ago, and that it doesn't seem like so. If the playoffs started today, the Wild would be in. Uh, they actually have the sixth. They're tied for like the sixth most points in the West. They'd be an eight seed because of the seeding, but. Can you sell me, Lou, on a case for, for the Wild making a deep playoff run? Is it that the Western Conference, now that Chicago has dropped off, that it's just, hey, Vegas is the top team, and, and they're new, and, and they don't have any collective playoff experience. Is there a case to be made for, for a deep Wild playoff run as we sit here right now? Yeah, first of all, because it's happened uh, twice in the last four years or so. I mean, Los Angeles Kings went from the, the last seed to winning the, the Stanley Cup. Nashville last year was the lower seed and went to the finals. And, and you know that once you, you get in, anything can happen. Now, the case is that if the Wild get in, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna have to have better goaltending. They're going to have to have uh, really good goaltending because uh, goaltending is paramount when you get in the playoffs and if you want to make a deep run. And so you'd have to have, you know, a goaltender uh, coming up big every game, not, not every two out of four games. It's got to be every game. And because of the depth of their team, I mean, they got pretty good balance, and they can check well, and hopefully they'd be healthy by then. Yeah, they they, they could make a deep run, but it all hinges on goaltending because you're not going to make it, uh, you know, with, with giving up any soft goals in games. Lou, eleven teams are within fifteen points of each other. Is it just recency bias? Because I feel like I, this is the closest conference race I can remember seeing where. The difference between Vegas and Los Angeles, I don't think from the eye test, is that different, and they're 11 spots apart in the standings. Well, you're you're exactly right, Chris. I had lunch uh, during the Super Bowl weekend there with Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner, and I said, you know, 
when you guys set up the player playoff structure before, there was there was reason for it. There right. weren't as many teams, you know, there was imbalance in the schedule and you were playing a little different schedule. I says, Now, realistically speaking, you shouldn't have three and three and then wild cards. You should have the top four from each division and let them go at that. And then, you know, this year wouldn't benefit the Central because they're so tough. That that division is the toughest division in hockey. But overall, you know, you you you, you play these teams more. It, there's there's more uh, true, shall we say, standing at the end of the year in your division because you're playing yourselves those teams each other right. uh, more times. And, and I, I just think it, it's better than having a wild card playoff. And, and even though you're going to have teams <laughs> this year from the Central League, uh, Central Division, they're going to have way more points than maybe even the seeded teams in the, in the uh, other uh, division of the conference. Yeah. Hey, Lou, uh, wh- one more quick thing before, uh, before we let you go here. I know KSTP-TV has uh, put together a special, and you were part of it, looking back the 50th anniversary of of the tragic uh, Bill Masterton death. What do you remember from the from the game, from the you know the several hours afterwards, and and reflecting back on it? Well, you know, at that time, uh, see, Bill and I were on the same bill. The U.S. wanted us to play with the uh, Olympic team, and we were Canadian citizens. Bill and I and George Connick, and so they came to the three of us and said, "Look, will you guys?" playing the team. And we said, we're Canadian. We can't. They said, well, we'll put a bill through Congress for you guys and, and you could play. So I said, we all said, okay. Well, we said, okay. And then the bill went through Congress. But at that time, June expansion came and Bill and George decided to turn pro. Bill with the North Stars, George with Pittsburgh. So I was, I was still with the Olympic team. And, and so I was in a situation where uh, I'd play with the Olympic team, but when I was home, I would do the post-game show for the North Stars. Well, I was playing in Boston that night against BU uh, with the Olympic team, and the next day the North Stars were coming to Boston. So Channel 11 asked me if I'd stay and do the color. I said, okay, fine. Well, I didn't hear till the next morning about the accident, the, the hit and, you know, Bill's situation. And so I was waiting for the team to come in, and they had problems coming through, uh, maybe it was weather, whatever, yeah. and a game didn't start for an hour late, and so I had to fill for an hour, and that's when we learned that, you know, us out east, that Bill had passed away, and, uh, you know, the the team was, you know, everybody that knew Bill, he's such a wonderful guy, was just in shock, he just shook up, it was, it, it was just like, the game was, and broadcasting the game was like being in a trance, I, this didn't happen before, you never thought of it happening, and and just the fact that, you know, when they leave, uh, you know, at the end of the the game, they're thinking maybe there's still hope for him, which there wasn't. And then they find out he, he's passed away. It was just, it was just uh, obviously just a disaster. In hindsight, are you surprised it took 11 years for helmets to be mandated after that, and 30 years before the entire league was wearing helmets after that? Well, I'm I'm not surprised because Chris, uh, even when I joined. Uh, the North Stars uh, at the end of the, after the Olympics were over, uh, there still was the stigma of putting a helmet on, almost like you're a sissy, you know. Yeah. And and there's some guys that felt that way, and, and I think it was really, you know, people in management uh, knew that it was important for them, for the fans to really uh, uh, identify with the player, and it's much easier to do when he hasn't got a helmet on. 
And on top of that, there's, I got to tell you, I never wore a helmet all my life till after a couple of concussions. And and then Makita had started wearing a helmet and made all of us feel like it's okay if he can wear a helmet, a star in the league that, you know, uh, nobody's going to question whether Makita's wearing it because he's worried about getting hurt or anything. I think that was a big plus. But it was so uncomfortable to wear a helmet. And if you haven't worn one all your life, then it was tough to get guys to do it. And, and yeah. they still... You know, where the theory that, well, what's going to happen? I mean, this happened one time in, in hockey history, so it's not going to happen again or it won't happen to me. So it took a while. And then I was on the Players Association Committee when we finally passed it in 1977. We had a meeting. I'll never forget that because we were meeting in Bermuda in the off season, And we mandated helmets, but we grandfathered them in. So guys like Dougie Wilson, McTavish was the last guy, but Dougie Wilson and those guys, played in the 80s without a helmet and uh and then all the new guys coming up in junior were already wearing helmets so it wasn't the the big transition it would have been back in the 60s and early 70s yeah hey lou great stuff as always and uh you can live vicariously uh, vicariously through us at the golf show or we can live vicariously yeah, yeah. through you at whatever tropical resort you're <laughs> well, golfing in, at this weekend i'm in lauderdale today so yeah we'll right <laughs> yep. Yep. See you next week, Lou. All right. Thanks. Uh, Lou Nanny. All right. Let's come back. Uh, top of the hour. Write that down. Predictions. Usually we do it at 10 o'clock on Fridays. We'll get there at, at 11 o'clock uh, this week from the 2018 Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show presented by us, 1500 ESPN. Live on 1500 ESPN. It's the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Yeah, we're hanging out here. The doors opened up about 20 minutes ago. This is a this is a tougher putting green in front of us where you, you can putt for prizes, and later on in the show we're actually going to give away some free golf at Troy Burn to end our show. And I don't know if anyone's made it yet. Well, it's deceptive. I'm a little nervous. It's going to be uh, people are going to get the hang of it. But you got there's no break unlike previous years. Well, but it's a don't see now we say it and this guy nails it. Oh no, we got by the way we got Jim McNaney, our buddy here from Golf Tech, is with us now. Sorry, hey, guys. The put, there's a little dome there that you can't really see from where you're putting, and no. so you've got to nail the speed. I'm going to pepper Jim with, uh, and we'll talk about some of the cool things that Golf Tech has going. But I'm going to pepper you with just like some dumb golf questions. So what's fire away as you watch people, uh, amateur golfers, guys who are bogey golfers like me and Chris, when you're putting, like so Tiger yeah. Woods yesterday couldn't hit a fairway to yep. save his life. Yeah, he's he's hitting. He's hitting iron shots from bunkers in other fairways. Yeah. But because he he putted lights out. Right. So what's the biggest mistake people make when they're putting mechanically or in their approach or in their setup? I think it's more of their approach. Um, there are three things that really affect putting. Pressure, pace, and path. You know, pressure is twofold. It's, you know, hands around the throat. And if you make love to it like Chris and I, then you're fine. Right? <sighs> Wait. I've no, played with okay. you. I've, no. <laughs> Uh, I never but, get to the point where I feel pressure when I'm putting. It's but, always for a triple. It's the pressure of the moment, obviously. Uh, pace, how hard you hit it, and the path is the line you pick. And most people actually do it backwards. They try to pick their line, and then they guess the pace that they try to hit it at. In actuality, pace is the most important, and you have to be committed to whatever pace you're going to hit it at because you can pick four or five different lines at different paces, and the ball will go in. Now... The, theoretically, the hole actually shrinks as the faster the ball is moving. So, you know, perfect pace would be 6 to 18 inches behind the hole. Somewhere in there, you have the most diameter where the ball will go in. But you can make putts from a whole bunch of different uh, paths as long as you have the right pace. So pick your pace first. 
then figure it out. I heard a story from somebody that saw Jack Nicholas doing a putting clinic at one of these mm-hmm. big corporate things, and he basically said, I'm going to tell you guys the secret to putting. Here it is. Everybody always asks about the secret of putting. You put your feet square, take your hands, put them on the grip, and you do whatever the heck you have to do to get that ball to go in the hole. <laughs> oh, oh, thanks, Jack. He said, yeah. it doesn't open, stands, close, stand. He said, you watch PGA guys or you watch anybody that knows what they're doing in putting, you do what works for you. Now, you can't, you know, you're not going to putt one-handed or Well, actually, there's, there's a guy that's been doing that on the Champions Tour. Uh, but, okay, so there you go. He basically said, everybody worries so much about putting. Practice it. Yeah. Figure out what works for you and do that. Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing you got to do is learn how to read greens. You got to know the topography that's around and, and how gravity plays a part. Now, I'll disagree with Jack. I know that's kind of hard to do on the radio. <laughs> but, Jim McNaney, uh, bold stance here. His resume is Bold answer, yeah. My, <laughs> oh, my major championships. Uh, You're a, the, you dominate the 19th hole. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. Um, no, but I disagree because there are more efficient ways to putt than others. And yeah, you got to have a little stylistic, you know, impression on it. But um, to hit the middle of the face constantly, and to get—that's important to make sure your pace is right. Um, you have to be somewhat mechanically sound. And yeah, you can be open with your stance. You can be, you know, there's there's Dave Stockton style where you you forward press, and I actually personally do that I, I forward press a lot so i have like six or seven degrees of loft on my putter so that when i come through i'm not closes it up well i'm not adding too much loft yeah. to it uh and then you've got stan utley who talks about you know releasing the blade they're both good you just got to figure out which one works best for you so that's what really what somebody like jack is talking about when he says you got to figure out what works for you it's the baseball swing there are as many baseball swings as there are players but if you freeze frame at the moment of impact yep. yeah. they're there's, all loaded there's Julio franco squared. and gary sheffield right. yeah. who are right it's almost like they're clowning you before right. they, they swing. But at the moment of impact, they are squared, they're loaded, and they're, they're making solid contact in the middle of Their front leg that. is locked. Their back foot is turned. Right. right. Yeah. You know, I was talking about the front leg locked. It's interesting that you bring that up. Even though uh, now we're talking about full swing, but um, even though in baseball you're, you're pretty much back hip, you know, your front leg is locked, but you're back hip because you're trying to go up the middle or pull it or whatever, unless you're robbing Yount and you're hitting everything in right. right field. Yeah. Um, in golf, you still want to extend that lead leg. You just have to be on that lead leg to extend. If you look at a guy like, uh, and we'll, we'll show this on the performance stage during driver uh, efficiency to, in the next three days, Justin Thomas is 160 pounds maybe, 5'8", and he kills it because he has a great angle of attack and he has explosive extension in his lower body. Same type of thing in, in the great home run hitters. And yeah, also, it like you don't, but the point you just made, People think, oh, if you're a, if you're a big guy, you hit the ball further. If you're this or that, I mean, Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas. Oh, they're it's a, it's 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 more about the physics and maximizing yeah. mechanics. And baseball players are the same way. I mean, Ryan, well, Ryan Braun's a bad example because he was on steroids for a while, but <laughs> but, but it, it worked right. But uh, Eduardo Escobar for the Twins, yeah, sure. a, a diminutive Brian, uh, Brian middle Dozier. Brian yeah, I was going to say Dozier's nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and those guys hit a ball 450 feet, not yep. because they're Jim Tomey size, but because they're leveraging their lower body the right way. Right. They understand. You know the leverage of getting your bat head out front, and and it's uh, a different type of it's a different type of swing. I mean, if you look at uh, Chris Bryant, has spent all of that time with his dad learning how to get loft, and to to have the ball have lift come off his bat. Same simple principle with swing with uh, spin loft in a driver. So a guy like Justin Thomas doesn't have as much club head speed as say um, you know probably Tiger or, or some of the other you know just. Uh, Dustin Johnson. You know, yeah. He's got a ton of club head speed. 
but he hits it almost as far because of his angle of approach, his timing, and uh, his efficiency of motion. Now, you talked, too, about hitting it a long way. Earlier on uh, Golik and Wingo on the show, they were, they were talking to Michael Collins, and yep. he was talking about Tony Finau. Great interview. Oh, yeah. I was like, yeah. laughing the whole way yeah. into the convention center this morning. He's, he's hysterical. But he was talking about Tony Finau, and Tony could hit it as far as Dustin Johnson, but he doesn't. He backs it off. It, Collins estimates he's at about 60% swing. That's another thing that most amateurs don't do. We, we see guys coming in, and especially when they're doing a driver fitting, <laughs> they want to hit it. They want to see those numbers on the launch monitor is how yeah. far did I hit it. But, you know, Tiger needs to hit more fairways. The way he's going to hit more fairways is not try to swing at 110%. If he could go at 80%. Embrace old man game, Tiger. I was you're, exactly. four, you're 42, dude. And yeah. you, you've known me for nine years, and I need to start changing my game. Because we can help you with that. I used to, and I, I was, I was going to lead you into that. <laughs> I was, I was, I hit big, not ridiculous. I played three days a week big, but I hit pretty big, and it was a little bit inconsistent. Mm -hmm. I have completely lost my consistency because I'm now 44 instead of 34. When I used to be able, it, the, the the risk reward for me trying to bang at 305 was worth it when it was going 300, 305. So that's right? a good. Now that on best case I'm going to go 245, <laughs> I've got to completely change my yeah. game. So that's a good segue. So so Jim McNaney's hanging out with us. Last couple minutes, yeah. tell the audience if they come to the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Um, I know you guys have a new location opening up sometime in the spring, maybe yep. April. Yep. So tell, tell the audience here how you help them get better at golf and some of the things on the horizon for you. So first at the Minnesota Golf Show, we're going to be, uh, we have 10-minute free lessons using our BioMotion and video. So what everybody pays for, you get free 10-minute here, so all weekend long. We also are going to be on the performance stage uh, talking about how to maximize your driver, how to hit your irons crisp. We're going to talk about short game. We'll even have Twin Cities Orthopedic guys over here talking about how to get your body ready for, for golf. Mm. But, you know, throughout the year what we do is we help people play better golf. That's our motto. And it's all individualistic. We want to formulate a game plan that's different for Phil, is different for Chris, different for me, because everybody's goals are different. Their, their time that they can commit is different. Uh, their swings are different. So uh, we set up a game plan anywhere from three months to a you know, number of years. We have people who have taken several hundred lessons with us. And the typical golf tech student drops seven strokes in a year. That's the national average with us. So come by and see what we can do, and we'll definitely help you play better golf. Which is good because I've lost about seven in the yeah. last two years. <laughs> so. Right on. Jim McNaney, good catching nope. up again. Nice Thank you, you so much. Thanks for having me. Stop yeah. by the Golf Tech booth here at the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show and, uh, and fix your swing. Knock, knock like seven strokes off your game. Dave, what's coming up in stuff next? A lot of good items, including plenty of audio from Sir Charles. Oh, my gosh. I heard this. This is going to be amazing. All right. Mackie and Jeb with Chris Long from the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show at the Convention Center. You're listening to the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show live on 1500 ESPN. And Stuff You Should Know About is sponsored by Liberty Mutual Insurance. You have enough things to worry about every day. Insurance should not be one of them. You can leave worry behind when Liberty stands with you. Liberty Mutual Insurance. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise. Men, remove your caps as we honor America and the Twin Cities sports scene with the playing of Stuff You Should Know About. Yeah, Mackie and Judd, minus Judd plus Chris Long today, live at the 2018 Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. And by the way, our course of the day partner today is uh, three, right three across courses. the way. Well, River Valley uh, Golf Trail 
Yes, thank you guys for pointing at the sign. I've butchered the name but eight times but it's already. A bonus. It's I'm three, a professional broadcaster, damn it. It's okay? three courses of a day for the price of one. Uh, yes, because it's a trail of golf courses. Yes. And uh, the first thousand people through the door, and the doors opened about 40 minutes ago, and I, it's possible a thousand people have already walked in, but the first thousand people receive a free greens fee from the River Valley Golf Trail, and then they're going to give away free beer at 4 o'clock in case you're wondering where you should be. Convention Center Hall B. Dave, stuff you should know about. Fire away. Let's get right to Charles Barkley. We've got two nights of Barkley audio to get to. The first will start with two nights ago, Valentine's Day night. He happened to be on the Jimmy Kimmel show talking hoops and talking about that one time he almost got traded and then didn't. So I get a call from my agent one morning and he says, uh, I think we got a deal. You're going to the Lakers. So me and two of my boys, this is about 1130 during the day. And what year is this? Somewhere in the mid-80s. Okay, so you're in Philly. Yeah, uh, I want to say 90, 90, somewhere in the late 80s. Okay. And I was so excited. So me and my boys went out and celebrated. We started getting drunk in the middle of the day. <laughs> uh, I was so excited. My agent called me back about three hours later. He said, the Sixers pull out the deal. And we got a game that night. <laughs> I, I don't remember anything about that game. You know, know your stats? Did you? Uh, I do not even remember the game, actually. Oh, like, I can remember a lot of games I played, but that day we were so excited. I was getting out of Philadelphia, and I was blasted. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. And we had a lot. We were doing shots and everything. Was that the only time you played while intoxicated? No. No. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, let me rephrase that. Okay, yeah. That was the only time I played intoxicated. I see. Okay, I have played hungover before. You played hungover, yeah. yeah. Which technically you could argue... not the same. But you might still be intoxicated. It depends on what time your game is the next day, I suppose. <laughs> oh, the day after my bachelor party was a long day of the work. The week after, yeah. Uh, here's what I wanted. And I want to get, here's where I'm envious of Charles Barkley. First of all, paycheck and athletic ability. He just gets a free pass. He, he, like, and not any, many other players could tell that story and there'd be outrage. I think, I think. I it, can't believe he disrespected the game see, like I, that. I think it's, I, I disagree for two reasons. I think if it's a, if you're telling it about yourself, if you're outing yourself, then you're cleared. If someone else catches you, and then if it's, you know, statute of limitations, if it's a current sure. player, you know, you know, like if Gronk came out and said, I was "Hey guys, I was blasted for the Super Bowl. I was blasted for that Week Five game." It'd be a big deal because he's a current player, but because it's a story from the 1980s, it, but it's he gets different. A Charles gets a pass on everything. Yeah, because he's a jolly watch, fat guy. It's why jolly fat people it, get passes it, in life. I don't. I should <laughs> under your rules there. That does. Yeah. I, and I love that he does because you are, are a champion for the overreactive America that we all live in right now. And I love yes. that Charles Barkley can do this. And uh, here's my question though: Why, why didn't they just? You're going to tweak your ankle a little bit in warm-ups, Charles. Well, what? Well, well, <laughs> like you? Maybe you should just sit this one out. Let me take your uh, your point. Let's say you, Chris Long, said. If you told a story today on the radio about that one time where you did the you did the. Six o'clock newscast completely bombed because at three o'clock your agent told you that you were going to a different station, but then like it reversed course. 
if you were telling that story about your Fort Myers days from, you know, wow. years ago Great. or Duluth, oh, okay, that's kind of funny. But if you're saying, oh, yeah, last year at the place I currently work at this happened, they'd pull you in and they'd probably question and or well, fire. Sure, but that, again, it's, <laughs> but the infraction doesn't change. He's amazing. Dave? <gasps> He doesn't always get away with it, though. This was last night on NBA Tonight TNT. They were live outside Staples Center. And here's the setup. Shaq sat down with Kobe Bryant and shared a little nugget about their time in L.A. together. So I admit a lot of times I didn't come into camp ready because that's just how I got down. Because my thing is I don't need to get ready for Duncan. Right. I don't need to get ready. I don't need to get ready. I'll get ready when I get ready. So because I had you... I was able to just chill out in the summer, do what yeah, I do. Yeah, see, that's what, yeah. drove, that's what pissed me off. <laughs> that, that was it right there. Hey, so Barkley reacted to that saying, well, you know, you took the summers off, you weren't working, you guys should have won more championships than you already did, winning three. Yeah. He didn't get away with that. You would make more sense if we didn't win any championships. No, we won three out of four. I mean, what you want? What you want? We won three out of four championships. What else you want? You could have won more. First of all, that interview right there was very telling. That tells me right there, if you had have been, if you said it yourself, if you had have did more during the summer, y'all would have been even more dominant. Chuck, you you Chuck, just said first, it in an interview. Chuck, first of all, you can't tell me nothing about I, being dominant. I, I know. First of all, so, hold on. No, no, that's hold not, on. It has nothing to do with being dominant. Hold on. I know what I was doing. I did it my way. You see that right there? I, I, that's the result of doing I, I, my way. Uh, listen, you can Chuck, say what you Chuck, want to. Chuck, Statue. you just admitted it Chuck, in the interview. But, but you know what? That's how I get down. That's and what I do. And you know what I do? I bring championship. That's what I do. So don't worry about what I do. That's how I do it. That's how I get down. You can't tell me how to get down because you've never been there. He's not wrong. It got. It, but it, it felt like they were going to punch each other. He's not. I was watching that live and it was amazing. Barkley's not wrong. But it, what Shaq can't come right. Well, he kind of said it, but you can't come out and say. It was kind of my attitude toward academics. I can kill myself and barricade myself in this dorm room and never leave and probably get A's. Probably not going to do that. I'm probably going to be a well-rounded social student. I'm going to get out of here with a B, B minus, because the level of work to get from lower grade C, D, F up to B is much smaller than the level to get to an A. And I still got what I needed. I right, got my but- diploma. I got. Shaq is saying I won championships. Sure, I could have won more. Sure, Kobe could have done less work. But eh. let's see. Here's the thing. I don't know unless you're talking about longevity. I don't know if Shaq could have won more championships. I, here's my point, and I see why Kobe's mad. Of course. So Kobe had to had to lock himself in a library or a gym if you want to cross over, uh, you know, back to basketball, because Kobe was six foot six, and it wasn't like size stood out for him compared to the rest of his peers. Shaq physically Just was 300 pounds, and you dump the ball in, and he backs you up, and he and he lays one off the backboard or dunks it. And that was it. Now, if Shaq would have put in more work in the offseason, does he do more than score 30 points and grab 15 rebounds every night? I don't know. Does I think he, like he backed up the truck and he laid it in every time. Does he stay healthier? Sure. The, the, but he won championships, so he got to take 20 games off every year because he was hurt, and then he was more rested for the playoffs. It's the difference between the quarterback that has to study film and tendencies and the playbook backward and forward. And the receiver that really only needs to know which route do I run on these 10 plays. Yeah, like Kobe needs to do all the quarterback things right. because right. there's a million guys right. who are six foot five and you know yeah. somewhat athletic. For Shaq, there's only one guy who's 300 pounds and seven foot two and can just back the truck up to the, to the low block and put it in. The quote I'll never forget is Yao Ming was asked, who's huge, who's massive, what it was like playing in Shaquille O'Neal the first time he played him. He said, 
it's like leaning against a wall of meat. <laughs> wow, that is descriptive. That's, that's uh, yes, that's, that's very envious of that again, Dave. <gasps> Let's wrap this up with only in Vegas. Last night, Vegas Golden Knights beat Edmonton. Mm. 21st home victory of the season. Already one shy of the record for most home wins by a team in its inaugural season. But I don't care about what's on the ice. I want to care about what happened during the breaks, boys. 12 and a half minute break of the first period with 12 and a half minutes left, I should say. They did the old Jumbotron guy proposing to the gal. She said, yes, it's wonderful. Remember, this is Las Vegas. Second intermission. You you marry on the spot. This is so good. Elvis impersonator steps in and the marriage was done. Yeah. Incredible. We're, I'm going to be mean, cute. You, you have to, right? It's, it's genius. Yeah. Now, do they know that? Like, Probably. I'm assuming they know that. Does the, does the woman know? So she's being proposed to. Uh, I don't know. Probably, but maybe not. So the bit works. Save some money. You don't, you don't have to shell out twenty five grand to get a bunch of people in town. Yeah, and... It's Vegas. You not, wouldn't be the first people to decide otherwise two weeks later. Didn't Brittany and uh, that, That's somebody... the third period, by the way. Britney Spears have one of those? First period engagement. Second period marriage. Third period annulment. Yeah, you know. And then you get, out, yeah, you get out of there. <laughs> what did you do last night? All uh, three hockey game. Got married. What? what? Got yeah. it annulled in the third period. It's genius. Oh, Great. she said yes. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> we're going to do it right here tonight. Oh, man. Chris is in for Judd. We're at the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show presented by 1500 ESPN. It's at the Minneapolis Convention Center Hall B, and the doors are open. And you know what? The bars are open as well in here. And it's even though it's before 11 o'clock, people are absolutely where, partaking. Where did the gentleman go? If you're within earshot, I'd like to shake your hand. That walked straight in the door at 10 a.m., Walked past us, went to the bar, and got a G and T. Like right out of the gate. Did not make eye contact right with anybody. Game. Just walked right up. He's my favorite. Slammed guy. it, bought another one. <laughs> uh, we're coming back, so we still have write that down predictions at the top of the hour in about twelve or fifteen minutes, and uh, some more Vikings quarterback stuff. I know Chris Long needs to chime in on this Kirk Cousins discussion, and later on too, there's a stat that people keep referencing that's driving me nuts on one of these. Twins projected trades. Mackie and Judd with Chris Long in from 5 Eyewitness News. Adventure Bank Minnesota Golf Show is live on 1500 ESPN. Help fight type 1 diabetes by joining 1500 ESPN and Channel 5 and 45 at Mall of America next Saturday, February 24th for the JDRF One Walk. Join Team KSTP, co-captained by Phil Mackey and Channel 5's Chris Eggert and Megan Newquist. Help us raise money for type 1 diabetes research. All team members receive a free Team KSTP t-shirt. For more details and to join the team, head to 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Together we can turn type 1 into type 9. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so that's a week from tomorrow. And uh, Megan Newquist, uh, Chris Eggert. Eggert, Eggert, by the way, all-time good dude. Oh my gosh! All yes. time good dude. Yes, and uh, like even I know that he's much more in the public spotlight than ever before because of the amputation. But yeah. uh, like he's he's just always been even through the whole thing, just a bright spirit and and yeah. a dude. Uh, whatever you think he seems like on TV, he's, he's ten even ten times that in terms yes. of likable and a guy that you want to get a beer with. Yep. So it's kind of my it's my charity back to back weekends. We're gonna raise money next weekend for type one diabetes uh, tomorrow. At the Capella Tower, downtown Minneapolis, a bunch of us. This is a big My Talk event, our sister station, and I'm kind of joining in. I wish there was a way there were seats so I could watch this. Well, you could you could go to the top and see. No, I want to see the look pro- like. I want to see you the process. So it's a it's a 53 story climb, steps, not elevator, 
not escalator, <laughs> 53 stories, and and it's and it's all to raise money for LLS, you know, research to get rid of blood cancers, which is near and dear to my heart. My mom passed away from a rare form of leukemia in August, and I think listeners of the show know that. And I have a there's a link with information if you're if you're interested in the event or you want to donate money to the cause. Uh, on my Twitter page, twitter.com slash Mackey. Let me stop you because you're going to gloss through that so it doesn't sound like you're thumping for money. If you like this show, go to Phil's Twitter page and donate a couple bucks to this cause. He's going to be absolutely miserable tomorrow, but he's going to get through <laughs> because at about floor 30, his body's going to say stop, but he's going to push through because of this cause. If you're a fan of the show, go a dollar, two dollars, something. Go to his Twitter page, and I'm not just doing this because you're a friend of mine. It's a great cause, and I know how much it means to you. So if you're in your cubicle or, or make a note or something later today if you're in your car, go to his Twitter page, chip in a little bit because he's going to need a reminder of why he's doing this around floor 35 <laughs> well, tomorrow. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. But here, here's the fear that sort of shot through my brain this morning. You know, in in concept, oh, 53 stories. So I used to live you, – you've been to my old place when I lived downtown Minneapolis, and – and I lived on the 15th floor, and there was a couple times where the elevators were shut down, and I would climb up to the 15th story, and it would be and like, and I probably worked out more at that time too, and I would feel like I was gonna die, but but like not totally unmanageable, and maybe even carrying a couple bags. Yeah, four of those. That was like, yeah, but that was like four years ago, yeah. and as you can see, I'm not Mr. Cardio these days, so I park my car here at the convention center in the basement level where you just it's an underground parking lot. And to get to the Skyway level to walk over here to where we are in Hall B, you it's did, three stories. You did a little training this morning. Yes. <laughs> I put the Rocky music on in my earbuds, Rocky Four, the training montage. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually walked up to the corridor, and I was telling Paul this, our engineer today. So I'm in the basement level, and there's an elevator on my right, and there's steps on my left. And I stared, and I said, you know what? I'm taking those steps. It's only three stories. I'm taking the steps. Got my Fitbit on. And I'm going to see what I feel like after three, just like, so it's actually six stair sets up three stories. My heart was pounding after three yeah. stories. Pounding. Paul, he, Paul did like I was heavy breathing after three stories. Multiply that by, what, 15? We were live. More at, than that. We were live at the Rockies. 16, Ro 17? We were live at the Rocky Steps in Philly before the, the Eagles-Vikings game. And we had. That was editing, by the way. He stopped five times on his well, way up the step. Rocky was. That's what I was going to say. Rocky ran like 25 miles, if you look at some of the diagrams, and then you yes. got to the steps. More fun than running the steps <laughs> yourself is go to the Museum of Art if you're in Philadelphia and just hang out and watch people try to run up those steps. One out of four people is going to stumble. Because yeah. they're awkward. They're flat steps. They're hard to get all at the start. People are gassed when they get to the top. Everybody's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the picture. Yeah. We thought about it. We were going to try and rig it with two cameras that I would do the run. Oh, my God. Like Joe would be doing a sports cast. I'm just I would rolling start you down run. the steps instead. I'm all for looking like a goof on TV and, and, and you know, be self-effacing. But I, I wouldn't have been able to function for two days had I done that. I needed to work the next day and couldn't do it. Have you guys ever it's been? It's harder than it looks. Oh my gosh! Have you have you guys ever been to? I'm I'm going to. The irony is I'm going to die of heart failure halfway up tomorrow, and that's going to be another charitable cause for you guys to carry on. <laughs> um, but have you guys ever been to the Red Rocks Amphitheater in just outside Denver, where they hold outdoor concerts? I know of people, it well, but it's it's like I don't know. It's probably three stories worth of steps, if not more, and people will go and work out and take the steps up and down. We did it. Just went down <sighs> and up. In, and that in, was like two years ago. In high altitude. Yeah. 
Yes. Oh, thank you. Anyways, all right, write that. I'm going to die tomorrow, but it's for a good cause. LLS, that's the irony. Uh, Chris Long's in for Judd, and it's Mackie and Judd at the Venture Bank Minnesota Golf Show. Everything's getting more expensive these days. Gas, rent, and even your music. While other music services keep jacking up their prices, Live One is letting you lock in the best music membership at the best price. Live One Plus is just $3.99 per month. Get all your favorite music ad-free, along with unlimited skips and maximum audio quality. Beat inflation with the best deal in music at just $3.99 per month. Visit liveone.com slash best music to get Live One Plus now.